0: Welcome to another exciting episode of The Nuclear View, a weekly podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to think deterrence. The views of the guests are their own.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Nuclear View, a podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Of course, today we have myself, Adam Lowther, along with Curtis McGiffin and Jim Petrosky. And today we're going to talk about a topic that for a few weeks was the top international affairs slash foreign policy topic. And that is, of course, the balloons and unidentified objects that flew across the United States. Now, before I turn it over Curtis and Jim let me just walk you back through the events as they occurred so on January 28th that was when the Chinese surveillance balloon entered U.S. airspace of course it was coming across Alaska and then the Department of Defense stated that it was it was tracking the balloon on February the 2nd then on February the 4th after the balloon which was maneuverable. We do know that that it had the ability to maneuver. So it went from Alaska down to Montana, hovered over our ICBM bases, then it went from Montana down to my neck of the woods in Missouri and hovered over our B Two base at Whiteman. And then it was shot down on the fourth of February as it left in moved over the Atlantic Ocean in shallow water just off the coast of South Carolina. And then from about February the 5th through about the 10th or 12th, they were doing recovery efforts. And then, of course, not long after that, we saw some additional objects, unidentified objects that were much smaller that appeared to be Uh, They had no propelling ability, so they just flew over the wind. There's a chance they could be research balloons or something of that nature that the government was unaware of. And they were shot down over Canadian airspace, over Lake Huron. And there was one more. I forget where that one was shot down. But that was sort of the, for the first two weeks of February, that was the, the big deal of the day. And of course, we on the nuclear nuclear view have not discussed it yet. So with that said, with that background, I want to turn it over to Curtis and Jim. Jim, let me start off with well, thanks, you. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. And as, as a good overview, um,
2: yeah, you know, nothing official yet has come out as to specifically what these balloons were there for. And I always like to take a sort of a, a measured view on everything that occurs but you got to ask what was the purpose behind these balloons and so I, I like looking at a couple things you know one is of course spying okay so we have a balloon that's tracking taking information on the ground etc and and has a lot of technology on it so it's a low tech method for delivery with a high tech method for providing information there's sort of an interesting mix when you look at you know potential vulnerabilities The the second, the the spying issue though, um, is one potential area and nothing officials come out. So I'm not going to say that I know whether that was what was going on. I have my thoughts, but let's just take it as that's one possibility. And then we take a second possibility. What if it was just to provoke a response, like looking and probing to see what we're going to do that in and of itself, from an international standpoint, tells you a little bit about what might be going on.
0: Damn it, Jim, you're right again. You know, I have to say that this is just a fantastic opportunity again to talk about from the, from the, the, uh, from the, the ACME of all this, right, the, uh, the, the grand, uh, great power competition. And this is yet just another chapter in, in the cool things that go on in great power competition. And when we think about this, the term competition is a bit troublesome because it is, it sort of uh, uh, envisions this idea that we're all playing a big game, a game that has rules and is refereed and has penalty boxes for those who don't follow the rules. And that is just not the truth of what we're, of the situation that we're in here geopolitically. And this is just yet another example of uh, sort of violating the rules, but there's no penalty box. In this great power competition here that we have, and in this case, it's it's China. So you, hey, yes,
1: G- Curtis, would you say that this is an example of the Athenians at the walls of Milos, where they tell them, you know the Melians, the strong do what they will, the weak do what they must. As the as the Melians are trying to make a moral argument for why the Athenians should not uh, destroy the city of Melos.
0: Well, I'm not sure we're at the Melian dialogue yet, but but I I think we are seeing the the example of the strong doing what they will, and the weak enduring what they must. The problem is is that we ought not to be the ones that are weak here. Um, but but let's let's. <laughs> jump back here into the idea of why did this balloon come over here? Right. And, and Jim, you mentioned collect probe and antagonize. I I agree with all three of those in in, in sort of the, uh, the cowardly strategist way. It's all of those, not any one of them, but I would add a fourth, a fourth purpose of this. And that was to survey Uh, uh, the great uh, uh, Gordon Chang recently uh, wrote a piece that said, that this was China's effort to go over these missile fields and these sorts of things and begin to pinpoint, map out in a hyper-accurate manner where these things are, and that this may well be in preparation for a splendid first strike or ensuring that a second strike gets where it needs to be. And uh, uh, this is an act of intimidation in that sense. And, uh and 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 we have to wonder as as a as a nation that is beginning to consider this in po- potential engagement over Taiwan what preparatory work is being done with this and then you add in to the idea that we let this happen uh, there's, a, there's a CNN article wrote out here that general uh, van Herk said um, uh, he would defer to the Intel community but that this gave us the opportunity to assess, what they were actually doing, what kind of capabilities existed on the balloon, and what kind of transmission capabilities existed, unquote. So I think they had every indication this was a spy, and they wanted to collect off of the collector. And I I understand there's um, maybe some possibility or some interest in doing that. Uh, But again, then you got to ask the then what question. Uh, what are we going to do with this newfound factor? Uh, the, and of course, the Chinese just deny it. Uh, and if we're not going to put any pressure on the Chinese with this proof, if you will, uh, you know, to have that Adelaide Stevenson moment, I'm prepared to wait until hell freezes over until I get an answer from you. Uh, then what was the purpose? What, would go, what good was it? And, and, and did they collect all that information? Did we jam those signals? Did we, you know, what did we do? Uh, We certainly didn't pull giant tarps over, you know, the, you know, over portions of of Montana uh, to ensure they couldn't map those uh, those potential aim points. And so this is what's very bothering that we continue to surrender our sovereignty um, in these weird and exotic ways. Uh, And this is just another example of that.
1: I wonder uh, you know, you bring up a good point in terms of because the Chinese. So, in terms of more this being more malicious than we had sort of passive intelligence gathering, and the idea that because the Chinese don't have some of the exquisite space-based uh, ISR capability that we have, that maybe this is what they're, you know, their better alternative. But I also wonder as we think back you know to the 19 what was that 1962 whenever we had the instance of you know Gary Power being shot down over the Soviet Union at roughly 60,000 feet in a in a U2 and that caused a major international stir and it, you know it almost broke relations between the US and the Soviet Union I wonder, are we taking this instance serious enough or is this one of those sort of try to, you know, we don't want to harm U.S.-China relations. So let's sort of sweep this under the rug because my fear is that if we don't sort of wake up to the idea that we have adversaries, Russia and China, who definitely mean us harm. And would like to see the international order that we are largely responsible for establishing that the United States is going to end up living in a van down by the river. I fear that. And I just wonder, is it time to wake up and see that, you know, people don't wish us well.
2: Yeah, Adam. And and that's uh, this, Jim. And that's and that's why I said I wanted to sort of couch us into two pieces. One, what was the purpose? And then number two, what is our response at this point? And before I go any further, I know I'm the only technology guy here but I noticed Curtis only said I had three points and I, I know it's hard to get beyond that. I actually made four with the throwaway. So I think, Oh gosh, that see was such a so, throwaway. So, yeah, I ignored yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but seriously though. Um, so our response though has been interesting. One is, you know, and I have, I have a lot of faith and confidence in our, in our, our, our military and our Intel assets and your ability to go in and look at what, that uh, technology on that spy balloon or that balloon that China had sent over. I have a lot of faith in their ability to you know, back uh, engineer what was on there and determine what was being sought and what kind of maybe accuracy or pinpointing, as Curtis talked about, that was being gathered from that. And perhaps, again, I have no insight, they were able to jam it so that the information was simply kept upon the balloon. All those are good. But what even even if we're able to do that and able to collect that and you can say, OK, now I made lemonade out of those lemons, there's still the lemons exist. And in fact, the second responses and the third responses of shooting down other balloons and finding these other objects in space or in, in our um, in, in the air are are a concern because now we're sort of showing that we really didn't think it through the first time. And there's a vulnerability there. And how are we going to project that to China, to Russia, or any other adversary that wishes us harm in order to collect data on our most important deterrent system that we have to keep our sovereignty and maintain peace. And the missile, the missile silos are such an incredibly important part of bringing about the fear of that second strike capability and so that's the biggest concern I have. We need to make that point.
0: Jim, you're, you're absolutely correct. You know, we, we say in the, uh, in the nuclear command and control world, right? You cannot command what you cannot control or what you do not control. And and I would say this is a similar uh, analogy when I say you, you cannot intercept what you cannot detect. Right. And so, we have to do better at closing or eliminating this domain awareness gap um, that the Northcom NORAD NORAD Northcom commander has noted that exists, and uh, this is a challenge because there is a deterrent value to uh, to a a detection a surveillance capability that is flawless and that is dare I say gapless <laughs> so that in the adversary knows it's part of that deterrence by denial. The object is, is to make sure that, that, that there's, that there's, uh, uh, that there's no real reward in doing this, that there's no way they can sneak attack, um, and do a first strike because we will catch it and respond or, and that response may be a defensive maneuver, but, um, uh, but that they will be held also accountable for, that, uh, retributional, uh, consequence, uh, later. And so I say that, you know, we have to, we have to understand that this kind of capability, um, and, and, and this closing of this gap is, is vitally important to the deterrence question or deterrence equation, if you will, in how we maintain the peace. If we are vulnerable to a first strike in any ways, whether it's EMPs off of balloons or or, in, or or a sneak attack cruise missile that went undetected to decapitate leadership. Um, that is bad. That is a violation of sovereignty. That is act of war. That is all those things. And if the adversary believes they can get away with it, you do tend to encourage that possible behavior. And so we have to remove that possibility.
2: Yeah, Curtis, I, I yeah. And, and that's where I was heading. But I got I got one more piece and I'd be interested in yours and Adam's take on this is in the assessment, if we find out that vital intelligence information was gathered and transmitted, what now? Because now that piece has failed that the, the piece of not piece, like the the piece of (laughs) that we wish to maintain, but the piece of information that brings about that vulnerability. What's next?
1: Any thoughts? I guess, you know, I would say it would be sort of par for the course. I mean, the Chinese have stolen how many trillions of dollars worth of industrial secrets, military secrets. I mean, they all of us, you, all three of us, they've got our SF-86s because of the OPM breach. So it, it's, uh, it's not as—I I just wonder what's left that the Chinese don't know because they've been so prolific— at stealing us blind, but, you know, because they're, they're F-22s. Their drones look like ours. They stole how many millions of lines of code of the F-35? So at some point, the United States is going to have to stop this sort of passive rece- We already know that China is not going to peacefully rise Adam, and become Adam, a democracy. So but Adam, but all, all one, of the 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 panda hugger. First of
2: all, you know, mimicking or, you know, replicating is the greatest form of flattery. Um, However, um, you know, the, the issue I wanted to bring up was we're looking at missile sites. We're looking at holes in the ground. We can't just pick them up and move them. That's the, that's the, so, so we look at the other components of the triad and say, where can they be applied as part of this deterrent? if that is the case. Now, again, I, I don't know any of these things. I'm just pontificating, but it's, it's a worthwhile exercise to say that's not the only option we have. Any thoughts?
0: So I would argue this. Um, so to your point, uh, Jim, and your engineering mind here, as you think through this. So if we have, if, you know, it, it isn't to, to be afraid that that they uh, don't know where our our silos are. and if, if they didn't, they do now uh, <laughs> But what we have to realize is is that I think with with this epi- uh, this episode of surveying um, the uh, the lands and you combine that with the the listening posts that were likely to be posted in the farmlands that are being purchased around the missile fields and these sorts of things, that what you create you know is a you create a picture of what is what the adversary is preparing for, uh, and so this is a you know another sort of real. This is a Sputnik moment in many different ways. Not only does it make us realize that we've got domain awareness gaps, which is just fancy, fancy Pentagon ease um, of we don't we got holes in our system, uh, and and then. Uh, and then we have this; these other things going on. With the, We have to start thinking about how are we going to mitigate these. Things. We have to realize that the adversary is developing hyper-accurate uh, capabilities now and that they're looking. They're no longer just trying to aim at the corners of states. They're going to aim at very pinpoint. And as weapons get more accurate, yields can be smaller. But what that happens in is that they become potentially more usable in a first strike scenario. And so this is where deterrence begins to fail uh, when you don't react appropriately. What are reactions that we could do? Well, you know what? We could get over our aversion to road mobile capabilities. If you start putting missile systems on the roads or on the rails, those pinpoints don't matter anymore. They cannot possibly know where all these things are going. Uh, These are what our adversaries do to us to complicate our ability to hold them at risk. Maybe we need to start considering how we're going to complicate their methodology to hold us at risk. This balloon was a message to us saying, I know how to hold your most critical asset at risk. And we have to realize that.
1: and then we demonstrated that we wouldn't even take down i mean this the whole time they're they're sending data back to china and we're literally watching it happen and our response is that we fear that it could hit something if we shoot it down so now they know very specifically where the weapon storage area at whiteman is and they know in detail what those you know, what those hangers look like for the B-2. They, they know to a much greater degree and with more fidelity because some of their, their satellites, as I understand it, are pretty decent, but they're still not quite as good as what we have in terms of their imagery analysis. But I, I wonder, you know, what, and this goes back to a, a fundamental cultural issue, what message are we sending A strength-based culture like China, when we do nothing, and when we allow it to happen, and when we never punish the Chinese, this is why I bring up industrial espionage. When we don't punish, when we never punish the Chinese, did we not set the stage for the balloon to happen to begin with? But Adam, yeah, but but Adam, I'm going
2: to flip that around to my very first comments. Even if it was not spying, again, no official comments came out fill in your own blanks our our inverse way in which we operated this is then afterwards we became a hair trigger on anything it moves it also is not valuable at de-escalating it shows a lack of both situational awareness and also you know a lack of that kind of planning too so we have both we've we've sent both messages and i think it's time to let the chinese know we're writing the ship and now we got to talk about how to do that Thank you Curtis by the way for talking about the uh, the mobile launchers which was uh, sort of
0: where I was digging to. Curtis. So so let me add to that as well. So this goes back to my competition example, right? There's no penalty box, right, for this behavior, for this for violating the rules of the game, if you will. And and hey, where does the Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Club go to get reparations for their lost balloon? Um <laughs> and uh so here's another thing that i want to point out that really kind of bugged me if you recall the one the one evening after the balloon had already moved out of montana and was now heading towards center part and towards the east coast there was another anomaly radar anomaly in in uh in northwest northeastern montana that we sent interceptors to go check out and they couldn't find it you you recall this it was like it was like in the middle of the night, but it was not, it was in the middle of the night here on the East coast. But, uh, but if you recall us, I was watching this live on the news. And what was interesting was, is that the fighter interceptors that were dispatched to go get this thing were out of Oregon. So the closest interception capability was two and a half States away. And this tells you, it took them an hour plus to get there. Of course it was gone by then. And so, you know, we used to have interceptors in Montana during the Cold War. So we we have we have greatly we have so uh, impactfully reduced um, our ability to secure our airspace because we believe that this time would never come again. Uh, you know, we we have a, a terrible history in in America uh, with America of always fighting the last war, uh, and and we're kind of doing that again, right? We're still geared uh, towards something other than great power competition. We've been talking about great power competition now since 2014. The war on terror was basically officially ended in 2017 when the Trump national security strategy came out. And we still have not positioned ourselves and to, to show that we're taking this threat seriously, in my opinion. And so, when we talk about, or what do we what do we convey to the Chinese adversary when they're looking for strength and they see inaction, inept action, or 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 negative reaction, uh, it just looks bad. And what I would argue is is that it encourages more of this kind of behavior. It emboldens the adversary's decision making cycle. Um, Even if it's erroneously, and I would argue weakens deterrence because it encourages their, 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 their idea that I might be able to get away with this in a first strike. And that's exactly the antithesis of what deterrence ought to be, our deterrence ought to be. We have to remove out of the adversary's mind any question that they could think that they could get away with going first.
2: Well, I, ahead, I only, were about I, yeah, something. I, I, you know, like uh, the way Curtis put this out. Um, I, th- I, I do think, uh, we, we also always have to look at, you know, what, what would happen? You could say, what, what would have happened if someone had been on board one of these other balloons, you know, that could be a precursor for further actions. And I'm not saying again, you, you got to look at all angles and I'm not trying to stoke any fire or fear. But we have to have measured, controlled, but absolutely clear responses to be able to stop the thought of doing these things. And when they do occur, they won't occur a second time. That's my final word.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. But I wonder if we have fundamentally failed to understand the world that we're entering or that we've already entered, I think the Chinese have always known it because it was always their intention, and we've misjudged their intention for decades. If you read Michael Pillsbury's book, The 100-Year Marathon, Pillsbury very clearly says that after the Chinese saw our victory in Gulf War One and the collapse of the Soviet Union, they very rapidly switched to understand that we are the adversary. And so all of this effort that we've put into uh, the peaceful rise has been useful for the Chinese to build their economy, to steal our technology. I mean, we we have fundamentally, and it's interesting. I forget who what it was was telling me here in the last few days that the number of Chinese graduate students has dramatically declined in U.S. universities. And the the reason is because maybe it was you, Jim, I forget. And the reason it it is happening is because the Chinese have learned what they needed from us and they now they've built their own universities to do all the advanced technological engineering, artificial intelligence, and so they don't need to come here anymore. So we've built our adversaries' capability, and now what they're primarily doing is working in our industries. And through the thousand thousand talents programs and others, they're still, you know, funneling technology back uh, to China so that they can catch and surpass the United States and do it more efficiently than us as the primary developers of technology.
0: Hey, yeah, you know, there's a there's a Chinese law uh, uh, that says that. Chinese citizens that are overseas have a duty to uh, collect and and uh, and uh, and send that information back to the homeland. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, you know, these are uh, challenges to open societies like ours uh, that we're, we're going to consistently have this this problem. And um, unless and until we really crack down on these things, um, uh, we're going to continue to endure this problem. But but the answer seems to always be is to overclassify everything. And, uh, and, and it still gets, uh, you know, (laughs) violated. And, and so, um, you know, I think we have to find that happy medium. Um, I want to make a mention though, as we continue this conversation in the limited time we have left uh, is that, you know, we, when we take this balloon, uh, fiasco, whatever you want to call it, that, that, that translates into the new risk of cruise missile uh, type of attacks um, and uh, uh, or, or, you know, the new the new hypersonic, you know, Zircon systems of the Russians and Brahmos and these other kinds of weapon systems that are fast and, and fly low and and have the potential to be nuclear armed. We don't have the capabilities to detect these things. Uh, if we can't detect a balloon, uh, I, I know Congress recently um, um, authorized and funded um, uh, four over-the-horizon radar systems that's supposed to mitigate this, but those won't be up and running until 27. What do we do in the meantime? And 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 ironically, you know, we saw this threat about I don't know eight to ten years ago, and we. We, we developed a program called the J lens program you familiar with the J lens program, <laughs> these aerostats that we were going to put up uh, and they would have a look down radar system. And they were designed to look for that kind of cruise missile threat. And uh, and then one of them seemed to get away. And uh, you know, because we've never done balloon technology before in our, in our 200 plus year history, we let a balloon sort of get away from us. And, and we had to bring that down and, for whatever reason, uh, we decided to terminate that program. Well, I would argue that maybe we need to look at this again, uh, that this threat is realized we have to fill this time gap before these OTA OTHRs are, are, are developed. So Jay lens, maybe it's time.
1: Go ahead, Jim. I'm going to give you the last word because we are unfortunately yeah. out of time. I don't remember
2: who said it one time. Um, but somebody during the uh, Iraq war said never underestimate your adversary's ability to find a simple solution to
1: your complex problem. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's the, that's a great one to, to end the show with. So I'm going to do just that. Curtis McGiffin, Jim Petrovsky, thanks for being with us again. And to you, the listeners, thanks for joining us on the Nuclear View, a podcast of the National Institute for Deterrent Studies, where we, of course, always encourage you to think deterrence.